I forgot what I was going to start with. <laughs> <laughs> Pero es bueno verte. Siempre es bueno verte. It's always good to see you. Um, I can tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ and those just visiting um, who may or may not know the Lord, and I pray online we have, you know, a thousand folks who are listening in for the first time. Um, decades ago, I read one of the first books that, Max Lucado wrote, and it had to be decades, you know, great author, but my brother Max, I don't think he's ever had an unpublished thought, you know. <laughs> that's, that's really a compliment, but at, at any rate, um, one of the most memorable lines I remember reading, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago when he first came out with his stuff in the 70s, and Debbie and I were uh, married and living in Texas at the time, and you know, I was preaching for the Stephenville uh, Church there in Stephenville, Texas. Um, anyway, he would write, spray paint won't remove rust. And wax on the hood of a car won't repair an engine. And a Band-Aid won't heal a tumor. <laughs> if the problem is inside, you have to go inside. And I've never forgotten that line because it speaks clearly throughout all of Scripture. No matter where you are just about in the Holy Bible, and you want to improve your life, everything begins inside. Now, we have been going through the book of Galatians. Um, not verse by verse, or even for that matter, thought by thought. You know, we started this a couple of years ago, 18 months ago or so, this Bible reset, we called it, where we're going from Matthew all the way to Revelation, and I promise you, as long as I draw a breath, you know, not only up here, I'll keep preaching this, but when the Lord brings someone else in, uh, when I get the chance to fill in, we're going to continue this. So I've calculated that if I could fill in, you know, I don't know, uh, several times a year, that I can still be preaching at 90. There's no problem with that. You know, in fact, what a great way to close with Revelation. I mean, honestly. Isn't that, the, isn't that the greatest book to close with, Victory in Christ? At any rate, um, we've been going through Galatians, and I want to remind us as we get into Galatians chapter 5 that uh, the whole book revolves around grace and how the Apostle Paul said grace is to be, uh, grace is better than, than, than anything. And so what they were wanting to do in Galatia is they wanted to return to Judaism, return to the law, and keep Christ at the same time. And of course, you have to realize that that's an impossibility. You can't have Christ plus anything. You can't have the gospel plus anything and still be saved because the moment I add anything on to the gospel of Jesus, I set myself up as a co-savior. I say, Lord, I'll do my part. And you do your part. Now, my part is keeping these, these rules and these laws. And your part is, you know, forgiving me of all of my sin. And we're going to work together on this. And that was never, in fact, that's what the Old Testament tried to do. That's what the law of Moses, you know, it was simply there to identify sin. So the opening verses, verses 6 through 10 of chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes, I'm astonished 
that you have so quickly deserted him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who would trouble you, trouble you, and pervert the gospel of Christ. And then the Apostle Paul adds, but if we are an angel from heaven, should preach to you any gospel other than that which we've already preached, let him be accursed. Very strong words. I can tell you that the first two chapters, Paul contrasts grace and his own walk, his own testimony. I called it grace and the gospel, chapters 1 and 2. Chapters 3 and 4, Paul contrasts grace and the law. And he explains very carefully the law cannot save. By its very nature, law cannot save. It can only condemn if you don't keep it. Conversely, grace by its nature can only save. It cannot condemn. Grace, you're only condemned if you refuse the grace. Once you receive the grace, there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. And then chapters 5 and 6, Paul says, now let's apply this to our Christian life. Grace and the Christian life. And you'll remember last week we talked about baptism. So what, I was, you know, what I've been doing is taking a, taking a thought from each of those three sections. Chapters 1 and 2. Then in chapters 3 and 4, we talked about Galatians 3.27 and how we are clothed Christ's. I mean, that's, that's what sets us apart. And that's what's make, that, that is what makes us one in Christ. So we discussed that last week. Today, as I was reading through chapters 5 and 6, I was asking myself, what text from those two chapters really exemplify grace and the Christian life. It has to be the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Has to be. And church, if you were to read Galatians 5, 16 through 22, which, 25, which we are in just a moment, you'll note that there are basically three commands that God is telling wit and everyone else who is in Christ, telling us that we really must do. One, walk by the Spirit. Two, the only way we can walk by the Spirit, two, we are to not gratify the desires of the flesh, and three, consume the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is designed to be eaten. We're going to go through that as well. So those are the three commands. So let's look at the text. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it, Galatians chapter 5. I'll start with verse 16, and we'll read all the way through verse 25. I want before we read, notice that first phrase, but I say walk with the Spirit. Some translations walk by the Spirit. It bookends this passage. Paul begins by saying, walk by the Spirit. Do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Consume the fruit of the Spirit. 
Walk by the Spirit. It's a beautiful bookend. It opens and closes this thought. And it so clearly tells us why grace is critical in the Christian life and why no one should ever want to take the gospel and add anything to it. It's beautiful. Okay, here we go. But I say, walk with the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are plain. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, Envy, drunkenness, arousing. He just listed 15, and then he stopped because it's not an exhaustive list. And he says, and the like. In the Greek text, four words, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Interesting, isn't it? We're saved by grace. We're going to touch on that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Law restrains bad behavior. Law does not promote good behavior. If we, uh, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk with the Spirit. So let's look at these three phrases. Walk with the Spirit. Hmm. And do not gratify the desires of the flesh. I don't know about you, but in my life of 70 years or 71 years now, in my life, I find this really challenging. Do not gratify the desires of the flesh. This isn't easy, which of course begs the question, why is it so hard? And I think the answer is because we've yet to be glorified. We could spend a lot of time on that word glorified. Even our Lord on this earth, before the glorious resurrection, had not been glorified yet. He, he had not you know, received his, his, his heavenly body, which he had for an eternity. But when it comes to you and me, we've yet to be glorified. We have the Spirit of God living within us, and we are saved by the grace of God. And our sins are forgiven by God's mercy, but in fact, we still are in the flesh. We still retain human nature. We still are human. We're flesh and blood. Paul told the Corinthian church, flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom. So we've yet to be glorified. Jesus, in that great text, it's not there, uh, Matthew 26 He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, just <clears throat> excuse me, uh, just before his, his crucifixion. And while in the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes away and leaves Peter and James and John, and then the other eight, uh, Judas 
away, three close by, and eight at the gate, and, and one who is going to be betraying him. But at any rate, Jesus is praying to the Father, Father, remove this cup from me. You'll yet not I will, but your will be done. He goes back, and he finds Peter and the boys of Zebedee, James and John, sleeping. That was, you know, two o'clock in the morning, understandably so. But he wakes them up and he asks, could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Not only was the Holy Spirit willing, but their own breath of life, their own spirit was willing to stay awake for their master, but the flesh was just too weak. Why? Because Peter and James and John had not yet been glorified. They are now. We aren't on this side of eternity. So whenever Paul writes, whenever God, through the Spirit, to Paul says, do not, do not gratify the desires of the flesh. I'm thinking, man, that's hard. It's hard. You know, we may think, well, I'm not licentious. Yeah, but what about jealousy or anger or envy or any of the other sins that Paul gives in this litany in, in Galatians 5? The works of the flesh, not yet glorified. The Apostle Paul, this is too good of a passage to just simply pass over quickly. So we're going to read all 10 verses. Just bear with me. I don't have it on the screen. You can open your Bible to it. I want you to know that Paul understood this struggle, this battle between himself in the flesh and himself in the spirit. He's talking about himself. And it's like there's an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. And Paul talks about this, this battle going on within his members. He says in verse 15, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. So then it is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells within me. Excuse me, I thought Paul was a Christian. Oh, he was not only a Christian, he was set apart to do great things as the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul writes, I agree that the law is good, so then it is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I do right, or when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self. But I see, are you listening? I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind or heart and making me captive to the law of sin which dwells in my members. And this is the answer, church. Listen, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, 
our Lord. Wow. Church, the reason we find it challenging not to sin and be perfect, and I do believe that we can sin less and less and less by consuming the fruit of the Spirit and by walking with the Spirit, and that's Paul's point. The closer we walk with the Spirit, the less we'll conduct ourselves as the unregenerate sinners do in the flesh. Another great text, uh, very quickly, I'm, I, I began a series last Wednesday on the 51st Psalm on Wednesday night. It's going to go for eight weeks. It's online, so I hope that you'll tune in. But I want, you, I want to remind you of that 51st Psalm, the Psalm of Contrition that, the, that, that King David penned after he had been confronted by Nathan the prophet, after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, murdered her husband Uriah, and therefore betraying one of his mighty men, 37 mighty men, Uriah the Hittite. So he can, the, the, the sins of adultery, the sin of murder, and the sin of betrayal. And then Nathan confronts David. David lays prostrate before the altar. And he says, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. According to your abundant mercy, according to your steadfast love, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities, cleanse me from my sin, for I know my sin, uh, I, I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Now, if you look down at verse 11, David prays, this is a prayer of renewal, David prays, Lord, Yahweh, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I want to remind you that there were a select few in the Old Covenant where God gave his spirit to them. Like Saul, David's predecessor. But God took the spirit away from Saul. Right? And so David, rightfully so, is praying, do not take your spirit from me. I want you to know that David committed these heinous sins while the Spirit of God dwelt within him. But he recognized it, and he repented. The, the difference, as an aside, the difference is God promises us through Christ, he will never remove the Spirit from us. Why? Because with David, he gave it directly to David. There was no mediator, God in David. And the moment God, you know, he just kept seeing David and he kept seeing Saul. So he took the spirit away and David says, don't take it from me. All God sees when he sees Keith is Christ, is Jesus. He will never remove his Holy Spirit from Keith or Gina or me or any of you if we're in Christ. But we need to realize on this side of eternity, our bodies have yet to be glorified. We need to walk with the Spirit. Now, Paul turns right around and tells them what the desires of the flesh are. He writes, now the works of the flesh are evident or plain. How do you know if your life is in controlled uh, by the flesh? Well, Paul says it's, it's plain. It's and it is evident to the Christian. 
It's not evident to the unbelievers. These are what unregenerate sinners do constantly because they, they have no spirit of God within them. They've not yielded themselves to God. They, they, can, they can take what we might call the fruit of the Spirit, and they can say, well, I practice love and joy and peace, but in fact, it's all a counterfeit. The works of the flesh are plain. I know when my flesh has taken over, and so do you. The works of the flesh are plain. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, envy, drunkenness, carousing. And Paul could have gone on and on and on. Why? Because these are plural. There's a contrast here in a moment. This is the works. Paul uses the plurality here. Why? Because there are many different sins. Must we commit all of them to have gratified the desires of the flesh? Of course not. One could be a drunkard and not sexually immoral. One could be jealous and angry and not a drunkard. These are, this is the litany of the list of sins that unregenerate sinners act upon. This is the litany of unbelievers' behaviors. Hmm. And so Paul concludes this part, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now you know he's not referencing in Christ. He, the whole point of the six chapters is to remind us we're saved by God's grace and mercy as long as we are in Christ. Now if you want to set yourself up as, a, as the lawmaker, Galatians 5 and verse 4, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. If that's what we want, then yes. But Paul brings this list up not to, not to tell the Christians in Galatia, you committed uh, anger and you're, therefore you're not going to heaven. That's not at all what he's saying. He's showing them the contrast the contradiction of the flesh and the spirit. He's showing them this. If you do these things, if you commit these heinous sins, you're no better off. You do exactly what the unregenerate sinner does. So cease and desist. Well, how can I not indulge in the works of the flesh? Well, this is the answer. Consume the fruit of the Spirit. And the contrast is clearly between works and the singular fruit. All kinds of approaches. I, I, um, one thing good about the Internet is that you could ask you know, any question and get a thousand hits. You just don't know which one's actually true. So you still have to do research on it. But I googled fruit of the Spirit sermon. I do that nearly every week. I want to... 
And I'm telling you, the no reflection on everyone else, you know, everyone's queer but thee and me, and sometimes I'm not so sure about thee moment, you know, everyone's odd. The truth is that I hardly ever see a message that I read through and I'm thinking, man, I think you've missed the point on this. Not because I'm so, you know, intellectual or so spiritual. It's just that I think sometimes preachers, in general, throughout the world, and others who like to share blogs and such, they just don't really open the text a whole lot. Uh, forgive that, you know, forgive me if that sounds too overly critical. I've also read some really uh, insightful things from, from uh, these queries online. One approach I read, which I nearly laughed at, um, it, it preaches really well, and it's a great sermon outline, this author said, well, really the nine fruit of the Spirit are like nine trees in an orchard, all bearing different fruits. You know, I didn't know it was singular. And then he said, the first three fruits are Godward, the second three are manward, and the third three are inward. Well, that, that's a nice sermon outline. You know, love, peace, love, joy, peace, Godward. Um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, manward, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, inward. But I show love to you as well as God. I show love to myself as well, and so forth. I really know, as I read the text anyway, in context, what do they say? The number one, those of you who are aspiring Bible students, listen carefully. I'm, I'm just making this up as I go right now. But this, the most the, the three most important um, rules to biblical interpretation. You can write this down. Context. Um, context. Context. <laughs> context is everything. I can tell you, and the Bible says, you know, in the scriptures I can show you, you curse God and die. It's right there in scripture. Of course, it was Job's wife who said it. I can tell you there is no God. Of course, the preface says, a fool says there is no God. So you can take anything out of context. The, the fruit, the word fruit, and notice, notice the verb there in English. But the fruit of the Spirit is. It's not are, it's is. Paul really draws a contrast between the works of the flesh. He just runs out of words to say and he says and things like that compared to the singular fruit of the Spirit. So how in the world can I uh, understand, you know, what, what's the application? The application is this. Every, all nine qualities of this singular fruit are in proportion one to the other. I can be a drunkard and not be sexually immoral, but I cannot love without joy. I cannot love without patience. I cannot celebrate peace without you know, without self-control. The fruit of the Spirit blend. And as I walk by the Spirit, my love increases. And as my love increases, so does my joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and all nine graces of the singular fruit. And so Paul concludes, against such there is no law. I've already alluded to just a moment ago, the purpose of law is to restrain bad behavior. Law restrains bad behavior. It does not promote good behavior. 
There are laws against the works of the flesh. In Scripture, I can give you 10 real fast. Exodus 20. Notice all the negatives. No other gods before me. No uh, graven image. Uh, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You, you shall not murder. You, know, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. You shall not covet. The only two possibly positives are remember the Sabbath to keep it holy and honor your father and mother. I'm telling you, law does not promote good behavior. So Paul concludes this little moment here, this big moment, with these words against the qualities of God's fruit. There is no law. It's incommensurable to all cultures and all societies. Everyone wants to love Everyone elevates joy and peace and kindness. There's no law against such because laws are designed to restrain. In closing, I would like to spend just a few moments. I'm not sure how to do this, so, but, and I don't want to do it for a long time. It could be another whole message, really. In today's pandemic world, I have heard the word both online, talking to friends, texts, and all other mediums, I've heard the word revival used repeatedly. Every time we have a crisis, God's people, and understandably so, want revival. We want to be revived again. We want the world to know who Christ is. But generally, and this is not in Scripture, generally we, humanity, even Christendom, we associate the manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit to revival. But I want you to know that the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, are selectively given. I believe every Christian has a gift of the Holy Spirit. Some may have more than one, but we don't all have the same. Why? Paul tells us why. Romans 12, 4. The gifts of the Spirit are many, the varieties of gifts, but there is one Spirit. And the whole purpose of the gifts of the Spirit is to edify the body of Christ, not have revival to the unbelievers. When you hear the word revival in Scripture, it's associated with this, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is designed to be consumed. It, it isn't, God didn't create a fruit, this metaphor, to be displayed on a shelf. In fact, if we display fruit on the kitchen table, it's wax. We eat it. Otherwise, we're not, otherwise, you put a wax apple out there and it stays forever because it does nothing for anybody except it's just pretty. The world is starving for love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Starving for it. You want real revival? 
Go back to Locato's. The problem is where? Inside. It doesn't mean that the Spirit can't just work miraculously, but the Spirit is working miraculously all around us as we walk by the Spirit. So if there wants to be revival at the Antioch Church of Christ or, or the Antioch community or the Nashville uh, city or its environs or Tennessee or the United States, if you want revival, it begins with you and me living, walking by the Spirit, loving and expressing joy and peace and patience. You can't have one without the other. They all blend together in a single fruit that God gives us. And that's why he says, don't gratify your desires of the flesh. They just, they split, they, they, they divide. Uh, they, they are what unregenerate people do. But you, the body of Christ, you walk by the Spirit. I'd like to invite our elders, um, however many choose to come, I, you know, to walk on up front. We're going to have the opportunity here um, to, as we stand and sing, not just this moment, we're going to have the opportunity to come down and uh, express our desires before the shepherds of this congregation. Um, if, you, if you would like to have prayer, wear your masks, come down here and pray. If you'd like to simply say, you know, I like this church family. I've been attending here for quite a while. I think I want to be a part of this family. Let the shepherds know about that. If you'd like to be clothed, Christ, then we can take care of that as well. You don't wait for the pandemic to be over. It's okay. This is going to work out really, really well. And then for the rest of us, as we sing praises to God, remember, revival begins here with this. And all of God's people said, amen. Let us stand and